where we differ with Van Drunen is that we would maintain the Noahic covenant is inseparably linked with the other biblical covenants in God's promise of redemption and restoration. It's not merely a stopgap for sin in order to preserve the first creation until the return of Christ, or even a mere shadow of what God offered Adam, but it brims with the promise and hope of Genesis 3.15. Welcome to Christ Overall, a podcast dedicated to helping the church see Christ as Lord and everything else under his feet. My name is David Schrock, and today... I'm introducing Michael Carlino and his long form, The Noahic Covenant Reaffirms God's Universal Demand on His Creation, a progressive covenantalist response to David Van Drunen. If you think that title is a mouthful, you're right. But in his well-argued essay, PhD candidate and Christ overall intern, Michael Carlino is going to help us understand a number of things about creation, the Noahic Covenant, and the way that God oversees the world. In particular, Michael is going to explain at least three things related to Genesis 6-9 through and the Noahic Covenant. First, that the Noahic Covenant ratifies God's previous covenant with Adam. Second, how this same covenant preserves created order by curbing the effects of sin on creation. And third, how this creation covenant that is mediated with Noah reaffirms God's indomitable commitment to save his people. Indeed, if we're going to understand Genesis 1-11 through and how it fits into the Bible, we cannot simply get creation right and the flood right and the Noahic covenant wrong. Rather, to have a proper understanding of the Bible and its covenants and the plan of redemption that centers on the Son of God incarnate, we must understand how the Noahic covenant fits into the whole of Scripture. In recent years, few scholars have engaged the Noahic covenant more than David Van Drunen a systematic theology professor at Westminster Theological Seminary in Escondido, California. Advocating a reformed version of the two kingdoms theology, his arguments have been found in places like the recent Nine Marks Journal on Christian Authoritarianism and in places like his own Politics After Christendom, Political Theology in a Fractured World. In these resources and others, Van Drunen has done a great deal to center discussion on the Noahic Covenant. And yet, as Carlino illustrates, there may be some flies in the ointment. Indeed, in Carlino's essay, which is probably the most technical piece that we have recorded on this podcast, we wade into the floodwaters of Noah and see what comes out on the other side. For listeners who are unfamiliar with political theology or David Van Drunen or the details of progressive covenantalism, this episode might be a bit more difficult. But for those who are willing to turn the speed from 1.7 down to 1.0, and are willing to think hard on these matters, you'll be profited immensely. Though Michael has not yet received his doctorate, he has proven himself to be one of the sharpest PhD students at Southern Seminary right now. He is studying systematic theology under Stephen Wellham, and his subject matter is the focal point of this essay. In other words, he is bringing his current research project into the light to help us think more carefully about the biblical covenants and what they tell us about the relationship between the church and the state, between God and his world. In addition to being a student, he also works for the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and helps Christ overall as our intern for social media. He has written for us before, and we hope to see him continue to write on matters such as scripture, theology, and politics. We're delighted to share his work here today. Again, the subject of political theology may not be everyone's cup of tea. 
But we do live in a world that is ruled by God, but also ruled with earthly monarchs who debate that claim. And so it is imperative that Christians have a growing understanding of the world and its kingdoms and God's covenants with that world. And so for those who are willing to listen and think and wrestle with the arguments, we believe that you will be immensely helped by this essay. And so without any further introduction, here is Michael Carlino's The Noahic Covenant Reaffirms God's Universal Demand on His Creation, a progressive covenantalist response to David Van Druden. The Noahic Covenant reaffirms God's universal demand on his creation, a progressive covenantalist response to David Van Drunen, written by Michael Carlino, read by Kevin McClure. Among recent approaches to political theology, natural law, and the relationship of creation and covenant, David Van Drunen's books and articles stand at the front of the line. He has cemented himself as a leading scholar on these issues. A professor of systematic theology and Christian ethics at Westminster Seminary, California, Van Drunen has written extensively on the subject of political theology. Most recently, he has contributed an article in the Nine Marks Journal on the role of the Noahic Covenant in human government. And previously, he has written academic and popular level works on the Noahic Covenant and its ongoing role in establishing his two kingdoms paradigm. Advocates of two-kingdom theology maintain the paradigm is historically sound, biblically grounded, and practically useful in garnering a proper understanding of just how Christians can truly live in, but not be of, the world. In short, two-kingdoms theology charts a course for the Christian to confess Christ's lordship over all things while distinguishing between his civil-slash-spiritual, natural-slash-gracious, earthly-slash-heavenly, outward slash inward kingdoms. The purpose of this essay is to evaluate and respond to Van Drunen's formulation of the Noahic Covenant from a progressive covenantalist perspective. While progressive covenantalism has some agreement with his overall framework, I contend that Van Drunen makes significant errors anthropologically and covenantally, which lead to further erroneous theological conclusions. Fundamentally, he wrongly teaches that the Noahic covenant, quote unquote, refracts or modifies moral slash natural law. He arrives at this erroneous conclusion because he conflates covenant and creation into interchangeable concepts. Though it is tempting to interact with and evaluate the outworking of these theological conclusions on his political theology, I'm limiting this discussion to a biblical theological exploration of Van Drunen's understanding of the Noahic Covenant in keeping with this month's theme at Christ Overall. I will dig beneath the surface of his public theology, examining central theological presuppositions that have significant ramifications on the modern Reformed Two Kingdoms paradigm, otherwise known as R2K, for which he is now well known. My interaction with and response to Van Drunen will provide fertile ground for the future in developing political theology. But before we get there, it's necessary to get the opening chapters of Genesis right. Keeping covenant and creation slash nature logically separate. Let me begin by highlighting a crucial error Van Drunen makes right from the beginning regarding the biblical covenants. Van Drunen's anthropology, his understanding of mankind, his understanding of the covenants, moral slash natural law, etc., it all turned on the fulcrum that covenant 
and nature are interchangeable concepts. He says so in no uncertain terms. He says, quote, distinguishing the natural and the covenantal in the opening chapters of Genesis is itself a false move that creates a needless dilemma, end quote. Not only is this logic out of step with classical reform theology, more importantly, it merges together two concepts that must be distinguished for a right understanding of the Bible's teaching on the covenants in relation to creation and human nature. Keeping covenant and nature, i.e. the nature of creation, keeping those things logically separate is supremely important so that we can speak of how God offers and then empowers those he creates in his image to experience the fullness of his purposes for them. In other words, man in his original state stood in need of covenantal revelation, special revelation on top of man's natural religious inclination. He stands in need of covenantal revelation from God to achieve his divinely ordained destiny as a creature. Herman Bovink explains that the Reformed confess, quote, after creating men and women after his own image, God showed them their destiny and the only way in which they could reach it, end quote. This is flatly opposed to Van Drunen, who conflates general, natural, and special, covenantal, revelation into interchangeable concepts in his exposition of Genesis 1 through 2. Adam, in his state of integrity, had both the capacity and inclination to know God, but he needed special revelation, which God offered him in the form of a covenant to achieve this fellowship forever. With that being said, I aim to show how Van Drunen's exegesis and application of the Noahic covenant is a sort of test case for why this is so important to get right, because concepts like moral order, natural law, and the Noahic covenant itself are distorted due to this error. Van Drunen on the Noahic covenant. Because Van Drunen conflates covenant and creation, he then finds license to argue that a future covenant can quote-unquote refract or modify elements of previous ones, which means that nature, and therefore natural law, since it is interchangeable with covenant, according to him, that nature and natural law can likewise be altered or modified. Why this matters, as I'll unpack in further detail in the next section of this essay, is that this implicates God's character and seems to make sin out to be substantive insofar as it modifies the very nature of humanity. Vendrunen's anthropology is, quote, constituted by three things, human beings' attributes, commission, and destiny. The idea of human nature as a static concept is foreign to scripture and thus insufficient theologically. Human nature is a historically dynamic concept that is inherently ethical and eschatologically oriented, end quote. One important conclusion flowing from this framework is that human nature is dynamic and covenantally mediated. The image of God in this system, quote, is not a static ontological reality, 
but a dynamic, historically, teleologically, eschatologically oriented office that entails being equipped for a task, performing the task, and attaining a goal, end quote. In Van Drunen's framework, human nature is preserved in this fallen condition and is neither bound to the protological mandate in Genesis 128 of the first creation, or is it bound to the eschatological goal for which humanity was destined, which is new creation. Van Drunen explains, quote, Therefore, it seems best, I suggest, to speak not of human beings having lost the image, as if God took away some constitutive faculty or moral responsibility from them, but of human beings as corrupted image bearers, no longer able to use their gifts or exercise their responsibilities well, end quote. Van Drunen understands the Noahic covenant to modify the protological or original natural law from creation. He says, quote, the natural law did not consist of static deontological principles, but was a moral order by which God normatively oriented human beings for a creatively fruitful life in exercising righteous royal dominion in this world toward the eschatological goal, end quote. This leads him to claim, quote, a natural law meant to direct beings towards a goal, i.e. new creation, could not continue to obligate them in identical ways if they attained the goal. Presumably, God designed natural law to be consummated along with the consummation of human nature and creation as a whole, end quote. According to Van Drunen, upon completion of the divine assignment, i.e. the covenant of works, as his reward, God would have set this created order aside and Adam would have been placed in the new creation. However, due to sin, Van Drunen argues that, quote, human beings are not bound by the creation mandate in its original Adamic form, but in its modified Noahic form, end quote. This is because, quote, God established the post-Diluvian Noahic covenant with all of creation and thus the entire human race. This natural law is in organic continuity with the natural law of the original creation, but as refracted through the covenant with Noah, end quote. Van Drunen argues the Noahic covenant therefore stands as the lone covenant that can account for God's universal reign until the new heavens and new earth. He claims, quote, from a New Testament perspective, the Noahic covenant's lease expires when Christ returns and institutes the final judgment by fire rather than water. See 2 Peter 3, 10-13. Thus, God pledges to preserve human society and the broader world only until the date of judgment and new creation. End quote. When it comes to the dominion mandate of Genesis 1, 26-28, Van Drunen is clear that man both ontologically and functionally is the image of God, meaning that, quote, exercising dominion was not something tacked on to image bearing. To exercise dominion is part of the very nature of bearing the image, end quote. Or as he adds elsewhere, quote, the commission to rule is not a distant implication of image bearing, but of its essence, end quote. With language like this, 
One might assume Van Drunen would argue that taking dominion and ruling over creation is an irreducible component of human nature. However, using a biblical theological methodology in formulating his anthropology, his doctrine of mankind, combined with his protological and eschatological schema, Van Drunen concludes, quote, that Genesis 9, 1 through 7 republishes the original creation mandate in modified form. The Noahic covenant envisions no completion of the dominion task and attainment of an eschatological state, end quote. Thus, for Van Drunen, the Noahic covenant modifies human nature, a natural law, due to the corruption of sin. He contends that the Noahic covenant, quote, holds out no hope of attaining a perfect and lasting peace, only of avoiding a war of all against all. The dominion Noah's descendants can achieve is but a shadow of the dominion Adam was supposed to achieve, end quote. The problem with Van Drunen's logic is that it plucks the Noahic covenant out of the organic continuity it shares within the biblical storyline. It cordons it off from the story of God's redemption in a manner foreign to how the Bible itself speaks of God's arrangement with Noah. Whereas Van Drunen understands the Noahic covenant to be exclusively common slash universal and therefore pluralistic due to the reality that fallen humanity rebels against God and is prone to false worship, I believe that we must understand there to be both common and redemptive elements in the Noahic covenant. Keeping the covenant together. Van Drunen is convinced that by injecting the theological vocabulary of the Reformed tradition with his rather novel take on the Noahic covenant, that we can have a truly, quote-unquote, common ethic for all mankind, quote, without identifying natural law ethics with a uniquely Christian ethics, end quote. Now, to be clear, I concur with Van Drunen's assessment that the Reformed tradition has often misunderstood and or underemphasized the role of the Noahic covenant in natural law discussions. This, I believe, directly flows from covenant theologians reading too quickly New Testament realities back into the Old Testament without rightly following the Bible's covenantal progression. We must read each covenant on its own terms and in keeping with its placement within the biblical storyline. As Stephen Wellam reminds us, quote, by tracing out the covenants in this fashion, we're able to see how the entire plan of God is organically related and how it reaches its culmination and fulfillment in Christ. We will rightly see how the parts of God's plan fit with the whole, end quote. However, unlike Van Drunen, I have zero interest in developing a natural law ethic that's not uniquely Christian, as this logic assumes Christianity competes with the common good, which is the goal of natural law. In other words, natural law directly flows from nature's God, and this God is the triune God who has spoken the world into existence. Genesis 1, 1 through 3, John 1, 3. As John declares, the word, i.e. the divine logos, was with God and was God and became flesh, John 1, 14. 
This word is none other than Jesus Christ, and any natural law theory worthy of its name must therefore be Christocentric. Otherwise, such a theory is at best plagiarizing against the lawgiver by not properly citing the creature of creation's nature. Moreover, living in accord with God's natural law is the pathway to human flourishing. And since Christ is the supreme good, Christianity therefore compels humanity to our common good. I'm confident Van Drunen would agree with this sentiment in principle, but his theological arguments do not align with his vision of reality. Frankly, I believe Van Drunen's ambition to develop a more inclusive or pluralistic natural law theory from the Noahic Covenant reveals why his protological-slash-eschatological and common-slash-special framework is inherently flawed. As I'll pinpoint in the next section, this flaw is due to a misunderstanding of how nature, grace, and sin relate to each other, because it makes sin out to require a modification of human nature and law via covenant. While he seems to assume the Noahic covenant promotes pluralism in principle— as an expression of common grace post-fall, I contend that the Noahic covenant promotes the one Noah typifies, the one who would come to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. God's patience as instituted and sustained in the Noahic covenant is for the purpose of saving his elect, not for the promotion of a natural law or a common ethic devoid of Christ, 2 Peter 3, 3-10. Similar to Van Drunen, I want to emphasize the universal and abiding nature of the Noahic covenant as opposed to the exclusive to Israel and temporal nature of the Mosaic law, including the Decalogue, in formulating a right understanding of moral order. In Genesis 9, 16, God explicitly refers to his arrangement with Noah as a quote-unquote everlasting covenant. And many years later, when the Mosaic covenant was still active, the prophet Isaiah proclaims judgment oracles against foreign nations in Isaiah chapter 13 through 27. And in Isaiah 24, 5 through 6, the prophet writes, quote, the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they've transgressed the laws, violated the covenants, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. End quote. Peter Gentry makes the following comment on this passage. He says, quote, Since the reference is to all humans breaking the everlasting covenant, the Mosaic covenant given to Israel at Sinai is hardly in view. The most probable referent is the covenant made with Noah. Isaiah's oracle predicts the complete desolation of the earth because its people have violated the instructions and terms of the Noahic covenant. End quote. This special revelation in the form of a law covenant with Noah demands accountability from all mankind, quote unquote, as long as the earth remains. Since Genesis 8.22. Something that Van Drunen is also rightly fond of pointing out. As Stephen Wellham articulates, quote, The Noahic covenant and thus creation order and its various God-given structures, 
e.g. human dignity, a proper use of our sexuality, monogamous heterosexual marriage, the family, work, and so on, continue till the consummation, end quote. Moreover, as Gentry highlights, quote, when God says that he is affirming or establishing his covenant with Noah, he is saying that his commitment initiated previously at creation to care for and preserve, provide for, and rule over all that he has made, including the blessings and ordinances that he gave to Adam and Eve and their family, is now to be with Noah and his descendants, end quote. So in agreement with Van Drunen, a progressive covenantalist would affirm with Gentry and Wellam that, quote, in Noah, the covenant reminds us that God's purposes encompass not just one people, but all nations and the entire creation. Despite their narrowing focus in later covenants, the scope of the Noahic covenant is as wide as the creation covenant, end quote. But where we differ with Van Drunen is that we would maintain the Noahic covenant is inseparably linked with the other biblical covenants in God's promise of redemption and restoration. It's not merely a stopgap for sin in order to preserve the first creation until the return of Christ, or even a mere shadow of what God offered Adam, but it brims with the promise and hope of Genesis 3.15. Even more, through the Noahic covenant, God upholds the now sin-cursed created order while using it as the platform upon which his grand plan of salvation comes to fulfillment. Noah stands as a second Adam, typifying the last Adam, and God's covenant with him is the arrangement through which the promised seed of the woman would be born. Following the Noahic covenant, God separates Noah's descendants at the Tower of Babel and the nations which form out of this divine action and are guided by Noahic justice, Isaiah 24, 1-5. This provides the backdrop into which God would send forth his son in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, Galatians 4, 4-5. I do not believe the Noahic covenant is nearly as modest as Van Drunen claims. When read rightly within the context of a whole Bible theology, his argument that it, quote, holds out no hope of attaining a perfect and lasting peace, only of avoiding a war of all against all, end quote, is insufficient. We must not confuse less revelation in word count for a thinner conception of morality or human accountability before God. As the saying goes, sound theology doesn't merely count words, it must weigh them. I believe Van Drunen falls prey to this fundamental hermeneutical blunder with how he interprets and applies the Noahic covenant. Sin's effect on creation slash nature. There's a specter of antinomianism in Van Drunen's system. I make this claim due to his teaching that the natural-slash-moral law is a moving target that is essentially covenantally customizable. If what is moral or natural is modifiable, this insinuates that God's character is likewise mutable, able to be changed, because the law of God is God himself 
as it reflects his very nature. If God's law is modifiable, then God is too. And if he alters reality and the rules throughout the biblical storyline, what confidence can we have that he will indeed hold true to his word? Rather than suggest the Noahic covenant modifies the original mandate given to mankind, I believe the Noahic covenant is the first covenant given in God's grand plan of redemption from sin as he moves all of history towards the one Noah foreshadows, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to be clear, Van Drunen is most certainly correct to point out that the Noahic covenant is given in a post-fall world, and there are distinctions between the Noahic covenant and the original covenant of creation due to sin. The reality that the opening verses of Genesis 9 emphasize the threat animals now pose to humans and the need for the death penalty captures the destruction and chaos sin brings to creation. But this is where keeping covenant separate from nature is once again important so that we avoid the error Van Drunen makes regarding moral law. I would argue that a key distinction between progressive covenantalism and Van Drunen's understanding of the divine covenants is that I or we, progressive covenantalists, don't conflate covenant and nature, and thereby we don't make nature covenantally mediated and therefore able to be modified. Now, to be clear, I'm not claiming anything new in saying this, as this is the majority view within the Reformed tradition. I'm in good company when claiming that the covenant of creation slash works ratifies the inherent goodness and immutability or unchangeability of nature. Sin is privative, not substantive. Therefore, nature ought not to be conceived of as quote-unquote refracted or modified due to the entrance of sin. To say that the dominion mandate is part of the very quote-unquote nature and quote-unquote essence of the image of God and that sin leads to a rescinding of this mandate via the Noahic covenant, as Van Drunen does, would seem to render humanity as no longer bearing God's image, which I know Van Drunen doesn't desire to communicate. The corruption of sin does indeed affect every aspect of our humanity, yet corruption and privation must not be understood to rescind or require a covenantal modification of that which is in keeping with human nature. Sin can only limit the realization of the dominion mandate in practice, not principle. Therefore, I would suggest that the Noahic covenant does not refract human nature slash law, nor does it remove the dominion mandate. Instead, the Noahic covenant ratifies God's previous covenant with Adam slash mankind. It also amplifies the reality that while the effects of sin, i.e. thorns and thistles, labor pains, marital strife, etc., While the effects of sin complicate God's calling for those he creates in his image to rule over creation, it cannot alter man's nature. A covenant cannot alter such a calling that is inherently tied to human nature and dignity. Van Drunen loses more than he seems to realize with such claims. The Noahic covenant ratifies and preserves God's created order 
and gives assurance that he will save all his elect. The Noahic Covenant is certainly a common grace covenant which preserves civil order in a post-fall world, but it's more than this. Since neither sin nor covenant can alter man's nature, I would suggest that the Noahic Covenant is not rightly understood as a concession to the curse of sin, but as a promise that sin can by no means thwart God's purposes for creation. When understood on its own terms within the flow of the biblical storyline, it is a reaffirmation of God's intentions for humanity. Despite sin, God will ensure that those he made in his image will spread out across the earth, and that one day the knowledge of him will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. See this in Habakkuk 2.14. Earlier, I cited Van Drunen's argument that, quote, the Noahic Covenant's lease expires when Christ returns and institutes the final judgment by fire rather than water, 2 Peter 3.10-13. I appreciate and resonate with Van Drunen's desire to connect 2 Peter 3 with the Noahic Covenant, because Peter explicitly does so in 2 Peter 3, 6 through 7. But what I believe Van Drunen overlooks in the 2 Peter passage is the clear connection between Noah and God's salvation of his elect. Peter teaches us just prior to the verses Van Drunen cites, quote, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. End quote. That's in 2 Peter 3, 9. It's crucial that we note the you here is patient towards you is plural, and towards you would be better translated on your account. In other words, Peter is teaching us that the reason the Lord Jesus has not yet been, quote, revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel, end quote, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 8. The reason why this has not happened is because God is committed to fulfilling his promise to save all his elect. Therefore, the Noahic covenant is not merely a common grace covenant, preserving creation until Christ's return. It also reveals to us the steadfast love and patience of Yahweh towards his saints. Conclusion In this essay, I have sought to draw out Van Drunen's biblical theological presuppositions from the opening chapters of Genesis. Specifically, I've highlighted his understanding of key theological concepts such as covenant and nature. Unfortunately, by making covenant and nature out to be interchangeable concepts, Van Drunen's conclusions that nature and law are covenantally mediated and modifiable implicates God's character. I instead argue that covenant is the means by which God offers humanity the ultimate realization of their nature. The Noahic covenant does not refract human nature and therefore the dominion mandate or natural law. Rather, I contend the Noahic covenant ratifies God's previous covenant with Adam, preserves created order by curbing the effects of sin on creation, and reaffirms God's indomitable commitment to save his people.